We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello and welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 152. Our guest today is originally from South Africa as an equine massage therapist, but in the past several years, she has moved to Ireland and she started a pony sanctuary for small ponies who have been abandoned and neglected or abused and provides a wonderful home for them or provides a sanctuary where they will eventually be rehomed. In many of these cases, these ponies come in terrible, terrible shape, so many suffering from injury and laminitis, and she is yet another guest I've had on here who utilizes Formahoof, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today, and there is also a charity promo that I will talk about in the episode as well with Formahoof, because it is a wonderful opportunity to give these horses extra support and comfort during this time of rehabilitation. So Without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Carol York. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I would love to hear how you first kind of found yourself in the equestrian world. I don't know if you want to really hear that. Uh, well, okay, maybe you do. Uh, I do, yeah. <laughs> I started, look, I started riding as a kid when we lived in England. When I was about six, I started hanging out in stables. And I'll just make this as short as I can. And when we were, when I was 14, we immigrated to South Africa and all my horse um, stuff stopped at that point. It just, that was it. It was gone. And it was 28 years later that I got involved with horses again by accident because somebody decided to give me a horse. I hadn't ridden or had anything to do with horses. Wow. Um, and from that I started riding again, obviously, but I also started to become trained as an equine massage therapist. And so that's what happened. And so I worked as an equine massage therapist for the next 25, 30 odd years. And then I came to Ireland, well, I, that obviously included my time in Ireland. I came to Ireland 20 years ago and carried on as an equine massage therapist with big, you know, sport horses and, and race horses. And then again, purely by accident, I found a little abandoned Shetland yearling on the roadside and I took her in. And that's how the rescue started, That uh, from that one little pony, which was a completely different world to the world of show jumping and yeah. other exotic things. And so... I retired from the equine massage about three years ago. I've been doing this for seven years now. It was 2014 when I found the pony. And, and then I retired about three years ago because I just wanted to devote myself to rescuing abused ponies. And I really didn't have time to do both, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's that's basically, in a nutshell, what, what happened. I don't ride yeah. anymore now because, well, I don't have time and I, I, I don't have a, a, a horse. All my ponies are tiny, or most mm -hmm. of them are tiny. Like they, wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't be able to be ridden. Yeah. So that's it, really. That's, wow. that's my history. How cool. From the time that you were given that horse when you were in, were you already in Ireland at that point or you were, you were in South Africa? I was in South Africa okay. when somebody gifted me an ex-race horse. 
Okay. So then how much, so how much time had you taken off? And then what did that, what did those, that first little bit of time when you had that first horse, what did that look like for you? Well, I had had about, I think I worked it out something like 28 years of not riding 28. Yes, Mm. that's right. 28 years. And Basically, what happened was I started riding again, obviously, because I was given, we won't go into the details of how it was gifted to me, again, <laughs> against my better judgment. But And really what happened was that I, I forgot that I was now 42. I was no longer 14 or mm. 12. And I thought I could do the things that I did when I was 12. Sure. <laughs> so, so my... I threw myself in, into the the ex racehorse and very quickly had a very bad fall, which mm. made me realize I maybe wasn't as capable as I'd been 28 years before mm. as a child. Anyway, I settled down after that, and uh, yeah, I started I started show jumping, uh, you know, on him, and uh, subsequently he unfortunately broke a leg and had to be put down. And then I got I by then I was well into it, and I got another another horse, and I I just carried on show jumping as an amateur really and really mm-hmm. enjoyed it uh, until I came to Ireland when again I didn't have my own horse anymore so you know there wasn't really an op- much of an opportunity for me to ride not on a regular basis anyway so mm-hmm. what brought you to Ireland you know people ask me that all the time um I it was weird I just I just felt like a change it was just one year and I just felt I needed to leave South Africa for no other reason that I just felt felt like a change. It was mm-hmm. in 2000 or 1990, yeah, 2000, and I came here. I just felt like a change. I was just impelled to come here. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And, of course, I had the British passport because, you know, my parents were British. We'd emigrated to South Africa, so I had no problem coming here. And my father's mother was Irish, so I kind of, you know, oh. I qualified. So... I just felt like a change and I I got a change, Bethany. I mm-hmm. definitely got a I change. I would say so. Wow. Very much so. How did you get into equine massage therapy? Well, again, the racehorse that was given to me had a problem with I've actually forgotten what the problem was because it was so long ago, but he 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 was he was lame. And a woman, a friend of mine said, why don't you get this uh, book by Linda Tellington-Jones? Yes. He suggested that I get this book and just to help my own horse. So I did. And I started doing the Tellington-Jones stuff on the horse and it helped him a lot. And from that, I just got really interested in the whole field of, of equine massage. And I started reading and I started learning. Now, in those years, and certainly in South Africa, if anywhere else, there were no courses. You couldn't you couldn't go to a course and, and become a certificated mm-hmm. massage therapist. You just had to teach yourself, which is what I did over the years, just reading, reading, practicing. And then from my own horse, friends started to ask me to look at their horses. And then I started, I made a business out of it for myself. That's really what happened. And of course, over the years, I, I mean, by the time I finished, by the time I retired, I mean, I, I incorporated so many different things into that massage. You couldn't even have put a name on it. It was more, it was more touch, Mm -hmm. you know, it'd be more, I I was just touching horses and doing, getting results. You know, I couldn't really just say it was one type of massage or, or another type. 
Is there a like a success story that sticks out in your head from all of your wars, your years working with horses that you saw a significant healing process or a big change? You know, I can't think of one particular. There were, I just know that there were a number of times when I I would stand back. You know, I would have worked on a horse, and then I would the horse would just come right immediately. Mm-hmm. Instant, almost instantaneously and I would stand back and go oh my god how did that happen <laughs> wow um, there were just times I mean there was okay this sounds like a crazy story but I'll tell it anyway there was one time when I I went to to I was at my own yard where my horse was and a friend of mine came out on her horse and I said that horse is lame Sam and it, it was really quite lame and then as a joke really this was a joke I just said to her okay she got off and I and I I literally pointed pointed my finger at the horse's leg and went you know like ET magic Mm -hmm. (laughs) the horse the horse came sound then Uh and there and I went oh dear and (laughs) I used to do things like that as a joke and things used to happen and actually in fact I, I I forgot about that and a good time later, a client of mine who became a client after that, but I didn't see any connection. She said, I was standing there. She's a friend now. She said, I was standing there and I watched you do that. And I'd been really skeptical about massage, equine, any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I saw you point your finger at a horse from a distance of about 15 feet. And I saw the horse come sound and I thought, what? that's amazing. I think I'll ask her to do my horse. I, it's just I don't know. It, I suppose it's all these days we know a lot more about the energetics of how things work. So that sure. kind of stuff isn't really – well, to me, it's not really amazing anymore because mm-hmm. we understand how that, how that energetic connection works. But I still, I still giggle when I think about going zoop mm-hmm. and the horse yep. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of any – you know, I, I, can't, I can't think offhand of – I mean, I've had more amazing stories since I started doing rescue Mm. of horses, of ponies that really were at death's door and have rallied amazingly, you know, so I've had more of those. Talk to me a little bit about that first first pony that you found on the side of the road. Oh, God, do I have to? I'll start crying. (laughs) Uh, I feel it's so important because it's so pivotal to what you do now. Yeah, look, she she was found, I found her, I was on my way to work to do my equine massage and it was late in 2013 and I saw this pony. I'd actually taken a different route to the one I normally take so you can make out of that anything you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw this little pony standing in the pouring rain. So I stopped, as you do, and I had to kind of, she could she could barely walk. She was tiny, little Shetland. Anyway, I managed to get help and I managed to get the animal welfare because at the time I was living, I was about to move to where I am now, to my four acres, but I was still living in a little cottage. I had no facility to take her, you know, so they took her into the animal welfare and they when they heard that I'd moved here uh, two months later, they, they rang me and said, look, we still have this pony and the vet wants to put her to sleep, but would you give her a chance? And, and now you can. So I did. So I took her, her name was Pickles, and I discovered that she had something called scapulohumeral dysplasia, which in English means that her humerus did not fit the, the cup in the 
in the shoulder is not mm -hmm. deep enough. So I quickly realized that nothing was, I wasn't going to be able to fix this pony because she'd already, she was only about nine or 10 months old, but she'd already got severe, you know, arthritis and calcification around that joint. So her shoulders just got bigger and bigger. And anyway, look, we kept her going for about, I really will start crying. We kept her going for about 18 months. And uh, I said to my, I mean, she, she could never trot. She walked around, she went around, she, she, she was crippled, but she walked around fairly happily and she had a decent quality of life. But I promised myself that the day she couldn't get up on her own, mm -hmm. that would be the day. And unfortunately that day came and she was about 18. Yeah, she was about 18 months old. So we had to put her to sleep. But she had a profound, that had a profound effect on me mm -hmm. because to, I, by that stage, I did have about, I'd taken in other ponies. I had about four or five ponies at that stage. But it made me realize that I couldn't actually fix everything, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> no matter how clever I thought I was with the massage. And it really brought home to me, you know, it, the, the reality of rescue and how, you know, you're so often faced, that's part of it. When you take in ponies that are really, anybody else would have put to sleep, but you try to give them a chance that you're probably going to end up having to put them to sleep, which is something I hope I never get used to because I'll stop doing it then. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, and I actually, she inspired me. I wrote a series of children's books. And I have about five of them. And uh, it was more of a, it was a cathartic thing for me because I, I, I decided to write her story to sort of get over my grief over this particular little pony. And I wrote it in the pony's voice. She is telling the story. Pickles the amazing. Yeah. So and then I and then I enjoyed writing that book so much that I wrote I wrote about they're just little small children. I wrote four or five more and I keep promising myself to keep writing again, but I just haven't got the time at the moment. Mm -hmm. But she she was she definitely was a very important you know she was the first one but she was also she humbled me <laughs> she humbled me mm -hmm. that's for sure since then how many ponies have you had at your home okay over the last this is my eighth year i've had 34 ponies come through here wow four have died has to be put to sleep for one reason or another and 18 have been rehomed. I was quite surprised myself wow. when I did this exercise a while ago because I didn't feel like I, because I never seemed to have any less ponies even though I rehomed them. <laughs> um, 18 were rehabilitated and rehomed. And currently I have 13. Okay. Wow. 13 ponies here. Amazing. So. And they, and they, I'm sure they all have different stories of how they have come to you just through people who know you and know what you do. Yeah, look, I'm not what I'd call a first-line rescue in terms of, I mean, the, the abuse of, of equines in Ireland is fairly horrendous. I, I Don't get me started on that. But I I'm not what I would call a first-line rescue, as in I don't get calls in emergencies and go out and collect ponies from abusive situations. Most of my ponies have come here from other rescues who are first-line rescues. They find these ponies and... I made it. I made it my mission after the first year that I would specifically 
take in the ponies who had no hope. Those are the ponies that I wanted to take. And I let that be known. If there is a pony that you feel is beyond hope, send that pony to me. Mm -hmm. I want to help these ponies that are really in a bad way. Mm -hmm. So other rescues send me ponies, the ones that they feel are like that, are really hopeless, and that they maybe are too busy to give them that sort of individual care that they sure. get. So, yeah, so, and then there have been, there have been a couple of times when some a, a woman who who's, had lost her husband and she had these two beautiful little ponies and she felt that she couldn't keep them anymore and she they were in beautiful condition, never abused. She asked if I would take them and I did take them and I rehomed them fairly quickly of course because they were beautiful little ponies with no issues at mm -hmm. all and they went to good homes so but but as I say basically other rescues send me the ones that are really so they they get off the box here and some of them are fairly they're in quite a bad way some of them mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, hold that thought because I wanted to have a quick word from our wonderful sponsor today, Formahoof. Formahoof's mission is to help improve the comfort, performance, and welfare of equines worldwide. Inspired by a local pony sanctuary in Waterford, Ireland, and its wonderful caretaker, Carol York, Formahoof have proudly launched the Giving Back for Good Formahoof Mold Replace and Donate Program to support equine rescue and charity organizations that work tirelessly to help the many animals in their care. Apply for a free mold by sending an introduction about your organization, the horse or horses that you'd want to support with Formahoof and the horse or pony's measurements of their foot by a personal message or by email to moldrescue at formahoof.com. That's M-O-U-L-D-R-E-S-C-U-E at formahoof, that's F-O-R-M-A-H-O-O-F.com. More information can be found on their website at formahoof.com. That's F-O-R-M-A-H-O-O-F.com. Thank you so much, Formahoof, and thank you so much for providing this charity program. All right, let's get back to the episode. What do you, what, what's kind of your process when you, for obviously each pony has a different story and a different regime as far as getting them to a healthy and happy state, but what is it, what does a normal day or normal week look like for you as you're working with all of your animals? Okay. Look, when they arrive, the, the, the place is laid out, the, the house is in the middle of the of the property of the four acres. So I, I have a track system, which I'm now slightly modifying to a track equicentral system because of the, the mud problem in the winter. Basically mm. the ponies go around on a track and you know, they, they have to forage. So that gives them exercise when the, but I also have my garage, which is right outside my front door is converted. Half of it is converted into a, a stable mm. if necessary. So when, when ponies, when ponies arrive here, I keep them separate, obviously, while I assess them, some of them, if they're really bad, have to be put into the stable to be confined so that I can keep it. But they're literally outside my bathroom window. So I can hear mm. in the night if anything happens, you know, should go wrong. Right. So they come and they get assessed and we see what they like before we, I, I like to turn them out with the other ponies as, as quickly as I can for the, for the company. I have two separate little herds. So we see, you know, where they would fit in. And basically I, I'm not, 
although I mean, I live here. I am the main caretaker, but I do have two other people who help me from time to time who come like at least once a week just to help out with trimming feet and things like that. So sure. I, and I'm not I'm not without support. Let's put it that way. And then we just see we 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 generally all have a look at them and see what mm-hmm. do they need. And we give if they need if they're underweight, obviously we feed them. And if they have we have three with laminitis at the moment. Mm. So my week is basically at the moment I just had a pony foal. The foal is four weeks old. She arrived here in foal last year, Aww. and the foal is four weeks old. So. They have to be fed. Obviously, the mare has to be fed, which normally I don't like hard feed or concentrates. I, they like them on grass and hay. So, you know, my day would be, I have a very elderly pony who's in her 40s. So she has wow. to be another one. The mare has to be fed. And basically, those two need to get extra, you know, supplemental feeds. But that's, you know, it's what I do in the morning. I get up and go and see and make sure everybody's where I left them the previous mm-hmm. night because Shetland ponies are <laughs> known to escape uh-huh. into the neighbor's fields. And and then just check everyone's okay. And then, you know, the, the ponies that have to be fed. And the, obviously, if there's a pony with a serious health issue, that would require more work. I mean, the ponies, the laminitic ponies, which we have here, obviously have been a lot of work. So... We started using former hoof with them, and we've nice. had incredible results with that. I mean, really, I, I, I've actually just seen, just before you rang, we had a pony who came here 42 days ago who could barely walk. We, we, we couldn't get him onto the box. We had to push him on. He could barely walk. He was so poor. And when I looked at his feet, I thought, oh, my God, this pony may not be here for very much longer because he looks really really poor well we got him on the box we brought him here we lisa the the girl who's the barefoot trimmer lisa gave him a trim we put the former hoof on and we let him go he improved within a few days and not to go on and on about him he had his former hoof removed after four weeks and already looking better and then we want to trim him a bit more before we put the next application but today for the first time that pony trotted around the track all on his own and I as I say 42 days later from a pony who really was he really was at death's door I'm not exaggerating Mm -hmm. he is now trotting he trotted around the track today and I was lucky to be outside and spot him doing it so (laughs) that I could actually film it so and then the other two are have different degrees of laminitis but everybody's doing great but we, we have we have put former hoof on those ponies and yes it's it's quite a it's quite an expense for a rescue like us because we don't have any public funding or anything like that so you know it's an exp- but but we decided that we were going to do this because and former hoof are very very helpful to us anyway with help and and and, and advice and all the rest of it but it's so worth it bethany i mean to see these ponies improve and so quickly you know mm-hmm. absolutely yeah tell me about an area of this equestrian industry that you are passionate about I know we've already like talked in this area but tell me about something that you're really passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about Bethany I'm afraid I have to say that the thing I'm really passionate about is rescuing ponies from Mm -hmm. dire circumstances i'm not 
I'm not passionate about anything in the industry per se, I'm afraid, not, not, not anymore. I'm just, my passion lies with helping ponies who've been abused. And I'm really passionate about that because mm -hmm. they are just discarded when they're of, of no use. You know, I can't say that, I mean, I can't say that I'm passionate about any other area because mm -hmm. I, I I'm not, you know, this is what this is what I do now is help ponies that have been discarded and mm -hmm. and they're regarded as useless because they perhaps can't do the job that they people want them to do. Mm -hmm. You know, there should be there should be more places that can be sanctuaries for equines that have served their purpose and for people that they could just be horses or ponies and not mm -hmm. have to do anything for people anymore because they've done it right you know they, they've done their job i'm not i i absolutely have no you know problem with you know the, the industry with horses doing the job because that's what horses do but once they've done the job surely they could be there could be places where they could retire and just say i've you know I've done it. I've given mm -hmm. everything I have to give and I just need to rest now, you know. Right. Right. And yeah, and I would I would argue that that is a huge part of our industry because I think a lot of people and, and something that a lot of guests on the podcast have talked about is that yeah. when you go to when you purchase a horse or when a horse Come, becomes part of your care, it is our responsibility as horse owners to really understand that it's not just for the small time that they are useful for us and our job yeah. and our, you know, our, our purpose, but they're really our responsibility for the rest of their lives. So seeing yeah. that through, even if it's something where, you know, may, a lot of people might not have the ability to fully retire or fully, you know, see their personal horse to the end of its life, but to to know that it is going somewhere where it will be yes. cared for and can be retired in a happy, a healthy environment yes. is so important. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And and there should be, I don't know, there should be funding they, or they should mm -hmm. be levying the industries. They should be putting levies perhaps in the racing industry and the show jumping industry. I mean, they all have you know societies that they and, and that they are members of mm -hmm. that they should be perhaps some kind of levy that would go to funding retirement homes for for these horses. Right. See, it's worse for ponies as well because mm. ponies, children outgrow ponies and then ponies are passed on, obviously, because the child rode a small pony and then had to get a bigger pony. Sure. And and so it's it's kind of if those people had to keep all the ponies that they had through the years, they'd have a, a whole herd and people can't or won't. So the ponies are just, some people do. I know people who've kept the old ponies and retired them, but mostly they are passed on and passed on, you know, to home after home. And it doesn't always end well for them, you know, for, for small ponies, which, I mean, that's what I do now. I mean, I have, although I, I worked all my life with huge, I mean, 16, 17 hand horses. I have, a I have a height restriction here. I've had to. My height restriction is 12 hands. Okay. Um, although, I, look, I mean, I, I break it. I, I have some from the earlier days that were maybe 13 hands. But me, I prefer if the smaller the better because I actually can't manage 
physically manage big horses anymore, especially mm-hmm. rescue horses, which are a total different kettle of fish right. to a, a well-mannered. <coughs> so, yeah, you know, small ponies tend to be sort of, I mean, I, I have a pony here, Bethany. He came here. He was so tiny. He came here 18 months ago or 15 months ago. He was, he was only three months old. He was so tiny that he was brought down from where he was brought in the back of a Jeep Kashkai, a Kashkai Jeep. He had been found with little tiny shoes on his hind feet. He was in a cart, pulling a cart with five or six teenage boys in the cart on the road. And these same boys were riding him. Now, he was absolutely tiny he couldn't have been more than oh my god was he even two foot six inches high mm. that he as i say he came he, he stood in the back of this cash car in the boot of the cash car for the whole journey apparently wow. um so you know that's the kind of abuse you know that this poor little guy now he's 18 months old now and he's adorable now and he's had <laughs> you know he's actually very spoiled but you know that kind of thing really you know many of those ponies just he was very lucky he was a lucky one mm-hmm. he found a place yeah when you go to i guess decide where these um horses who have been who are able to be rehomed what does that kind of look like for you what's your ideal situation for these ponies I'm looking at the people who are taking them more than the facilities that they have, as it were. I'm looking at what these people are like. I, do, I, I go and do a home check. I'm not a fan of ponies being kept in stables. I'm a big fan of them being kept out 24-7 with some form of shelter that they can go into or not as they wish. I'm lucky here because I have lots of trees and things, and I do have shelters dotted around, but the ponies generally don't go in there. They are happy to be in the trees. So I I look at people who are going to keep them out, you know, out for most of their lives and let them live a kind of a natural life. There must be more than one pony. I won't re- A pony cannot be rehomed to a home where it, where it has no company. Mm-hmm. There must be at least two ponies. And then lately, the other thing that's become an issue here is the fact that small ponies, as you know, are very uh, susceptible to laminitis. And the grass here, because this big dairy farming country, the the rye grass, the cattle grass is too rich, mm-hmm. too high in sugars for little ponies. So if they go to a place where the grass looks wonderful you know I mean if you mm-hmm. looked at it you think wow you know this is but I had I did have a pony rehome to the most wonderful home wonderful wonderful home but the grass was too good for her and she had to come back she got laminitis when she was there and she was given the, the best care wow. but they couldn't they couldn't get her right because the you know the grass kept triggering it so she actually had to come back and it, she won't be able to go back to that beautiful home because, because the grass is too good for her, which is very sad, really, because the mm. care she was getting was fantastic. Huh. No, I, I, as I say, in, in a sense, the grass is too, if the grass, the grass is too good. I'd rather see them put in a field where the grass is pretty poor and, you know, there's 
trees and shrubs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have rules. I mean, they can't they can't breed with them. They can't sell them on. They can compete. They can do whatever they like with them. But you know, we're just looking for people. We're looking for people who 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 really care about them and don't necessarily. Well, these are so small that they're prob- they're not required really to do any work. They most of them are not going to be riding ponies because they're too small. You know. Got it. Yeah, that's amazing. And do are do people? know you in the area do people come to you looking for pony to adopt or what does that look like yes you know in the beginning when we thought we knew it all and then we discovered we knew less than nothing <laughs> in the beginning it's funny how it works. yeah it's funny isn't it you get to a place where you know everything and then all of a sudden you start going down the other side and realizing uh-huh. how little you know <laughs> but obviously coming from as i say equine massage highly you know, very expensive horses competing at high levels and then thinking and then coming to rescue ponies who were as mad as mo- as a box full of frogs, many of them, because yeah. there was so, it was a big wake-up. No, we had the plan, me and Lisa, that we would take in these ponies and <laughs> laugh now and we would have them backed and riding within six weeks, rehomed, and then we'd take the next two, two at a time. That's, wow. We had the plan. Okay. That did not work sure. like that at all. We We did actually managed to you know get a few obviously rehomed we rehomed a number but it didn't work quite like that and at that time we used to get them ready and then we would advertise them on on my uh, page I have a, a, a putting in the magic it's called a, a page a Facebook page that this pony was available for adoption and people would come forward and say they were interested in the pony but as time went on we kind of Went away from that because there were some ponies that we felt, why, like I said earlier, why, why should they be made to do any more? They're clearly frightened, they're nervous, and, and and they go to a home and they've done enough. So let's not force them into taking up their previous employment, whatever it was. And now we, and let's just let them be here, you know, let them retire. Now we wait, we wait until people approach us. People follow the page and we, we wait until somebody, and they do actually, approach us and say, I've seen that pony on your page. Is, is it available for adoption? Maybe. And that's worked really well for us because people, we've, we've, got, we've been really lucky. We've had really, really fabulous adopters who have come to us rather than us advertising them and saying, you know, this, this pony is available. Got it. Well, that's amazing. I mean, and I think that that's something that obviously every pony in your care has their different timeline. And I, I'm sure you have gotten to the point now where you can just tell when they are ready for that next step. But wow, I think it's so amazing what you're doing and you've experienced so many different areas of the industry, but I love what you're doing right now for the industry. Yeah, look, we we, we can tell when they're ready. Sadly, or mm-hmm. not, depending right. on your viewpoint. Many of these ponies that I have here now will never be able to be rehomed because there's their very elderly one who's still very nervous, even she's been here for seven years. She can never be rehomed because she's still very nervous of people. There's There, there are other ponies with behavioral issues. There's one pony who wants to eat children, and he's a children's riding pony. So, mm. you know, that's actually not... he's a children's riding pony but Mm. he was severely abused where he was before so he attacks children so 
other than that, he's fine with adults, but he can't be ridden by adults. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's there's that there's the, the, the so many of them that are here at the moment for one reason or another. Obviously, the laminitics is very very tricky to rehome them in case they have a a resurgence of the laminitis. There are just so many who who will never be rehomed from here. I, I I know this, but you know, and there are a couple who are kind of getting there i mean there's one pony who's he's a beautiful he's actually a miniature horse he's a beautiful he's a tiny little thing he's so aggressive that was why he was sent here he's he was gelded late and he's so aggressive that he attacks every he he was rehomed from another rescue and he he had four big horses and a donkey in a corner of a field they were terrified of him and he's tiny he really is he's about nine hands eight four wow. he's about four, five inches so he was sent because of his behavioral problems, in every other way, he is perfect. He can be ridden, but we're, we're having, he's been here, he's been here about six months now. Slowly, in, he's got three, he's got two friends now that he gets on with and slowly introducing him to other ponies. You can't put mares or you, you can, he can be with either mares or geldings, not both because there's war then, that kind of thing. So he, he also can't be rehomed until he's been sort of desensitized and properly socialized that he's not going to attack any horse you know that he sees so there's a variety of of issues behavioral as well as physical problems that stop them from being from being rehomed you know sure yeah Wow. Well, I really appreciate your story Carol. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and I wish you all the best. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.